Hey, everybody, this is Brad Gillis from Night Ranger, and you're checking out Focus on Metal right here with Richie and Scott. You're going to love it. Metalheads, it's Scott. Uh, where am I? <laughs> <laughs> I know you're like in Never Neverland, and uh, yeah, you guys are uh, once again listening to uh, the long lost focus on metal. And uh, I think, as uh, Richie pointed out when he came down to the studio tonight, uh, I think this is the longest break we have ever had. I'm nine years doing the show, and it, <laughs> it, we've been a, a month longer off this time. Yeah. And at any time in the nine years yep. I've been doing the show. And it's that's totally totally on me. I'll take the burden on that no, one. It's won't. it's been uh it's been nice. It's been nice to not have to do it for a few weeks. I've been, you know, tried to reasonably enjoy the summer and and uh, you know, even the other day I you know, I was I was doing editing and I was thinking, Oh, I can yeah, I'll just I'll throw one together and then I just I I couldn't bring myself to put it together. But uh, I've got a lot of audio that Richie sent my way, and I did edit all that up, and now it's just been just trying to get myself psyched up to, to dive back in. I'm sure once, you know, get back in the groove and stuff, you know, it'll just be kind of like riding a bike. But, yeah, I definitely, I've, I've enjoyed having the, the, the many, many weeks off. That's for sure. It's work. It is. It is um, work. And this is a hobby for us. <laughs> yeah, I like, know. Outside of work. Yeah, yeah. Um. And it takes up a, a, a lot more time on your end than mine, but I still have to organize my work schedule around yeah. interviews and yeah. all that kind of st- yep. schedule, and all that crap. Yeah. And uh, I do that end, and then you do this, you do the editing end. And yeah. uh, we try and get a show out every week, and we were supposed to take four weeks off, and we took eight. Yep. And uh, sue us. We don't give a <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know, and, and it's true. It's it's uh, you know, part of it is just you know, like you said, you know, you've been on it nine years. I've been on it eleven years, and and um, you know, just it's been kind of almost nonstop all the time. It's been I've been glad that we've taken kind of these winter breaks and summer breaks, and they help kind of recharge the batteries. But uh, yeah, everything's kind of kind of going on, and uh, you know, you just after a while, you just kind of get you just kind of get burned out, and. Uh, and it kind of gets not fun, and so yeah, that's kind of where it was. It was getting so yeah, just kind of trying to take the eight weeks, kind of get the brain going again, and uh, and, and just dive in, you know. You get all these shows that they all start with the greatest of intentions. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is fantastic! You know, I've got all the software now, and, yeah, and I can edit the show, and I'm going to do a show every week, and then they might do it for the first three or four weeks, and then. They'll take a week off, uh-huh. and then they'll take two weeks off, and then three weeks off, and then after two or three months, they're they're done. Yeah, it, it we're is. doing it, it for eleven years. It's definitely, it's definitely work. <laughs> um, you know, and mil- mixing, you know, multiple versions every week, and web programming, and artwork, and you know, everything else that goes on to it too. And you know, a lot of shows just kind of just put something quickly in the can, and they don't even do any of that. So this. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on. There's a lot to it. So uh, yeah, I'll just invite everybody to my pity party here. But uh, yeah, we're back. I mean, 
I'm sure there's people out there that were thinking, oh, yeah, they're done. But no, we're, we're not. It's kind of like a, we're like a Apparently rash. Apparently, did think we were done. <laughs> I'm being honest. <laughs> I'm like, should I schedule anyone? Should I? Should I? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, just, you just get, so, you know, you've got a lot going on, you know, family life. And I've just got so much crap with, with work and stuff. And yeah, he just, after a while, you just kind of want to just like do nothing. I, I can't even, I was even in the eight weeks it was like oh you know I'll, pay, I'll try recording a few songs and stuff and i just i couldn't even get myself to do that i'll go into work and i'll sit in front of my computer all day and then i'll, I'll be delighted to go home and sit down uh-huh. and sit in front of a computer <laughs> for three and four hours and edit a show uh-huh no right <laughs> it's just yeah and that's where i was like that's where i knew like i was kind of like this isn't good is where I you know I've got I've got great recording software and stuff and and some really great stuff and, and I mean, you see I got equipment lying all over the place here and I just couldn't even bring myself to like fire everything up and record some songs it just yeah it just was like toast you know even even uh, you know my girlfriend was saying oh you know just hey bring the amp over to the to the house and you know set it up by the pool and crank up and you know and it was just kind of like nah. Can't even do that. I'm just like, I'm just, like <laughs> just like so, just like toast. So I'm hoping to pull myself out of it. I know I will. And uh, like I said, probably you know. Anyway, this this is the first of the twelve steps, man. Is uh, getting another show back on the air, and uh, and I, you know, I think we'll be going. I mean, I know you got some great stuff in the can, and um, you know, should be should be good. But uh, yeah, we're back. We're back. Ta-da. Uh-huh. <laughs> Give it a couple of weeks and see what happens. <laughs> and, uh, nah, I just, I, you know, it, 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 you do bring a point up though, and that's that we have been doing it as a weekly show, and it's just been like on and on, and, and you know, we may come to a point here where we're going to be doing, we may skip a week here and there, we may yeah. have a week that we've got a really long ass show that's like two hours, and then nothing the next week. But uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. We're not going away. Um, I don't foresee another, you know eight week break coming up in the next month or something. But, uh, you know, we'll just, we're going to play it by ear, but yeah, we're here. I mean, we're 500 episodes strong, still going. And, uh, I don't expect that to change. No. And we still have stuff we need to get out. Yeah. This, this there's a lot of good stuff still coming in and, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see that. And, and, you know, no more than anything, I'll probably just end up, we'll be cranking out a weekly show every week until Christmas break. And, Hopefully that one will be short, but we'll see how, <laughs> we'll see how the winter's going to be here, right? But uh, yeah, but anyways, we've got a great show this week. Uh, returning guest, Brad Gillis, uh, Night Ranger, has a brand new album out called uh, And the Band Played On. So I don't have it. Um, I did give a listen to the, uh, the digital stuff. It's a little hit or miss. It's Night Ranger. It's, I like it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's things in there. Um my favorite track on it is Monkey. Uh, I, th- I think that one there is the one that's kind of got the excitement factor for me. I also like Breakout. Uh, totally see what you were talking about with that one as well. It, really, it hits you in the face right at the beginning of it. And th- there's some other stuff in there, too, that, that's going on. And, and that one's pretty good. But it, it is a, a little hit or miss. There's, there's, uh, some of the songs have a little bit too much country flavor in them for me. And um, one of them was like, oh, man, this has got this like country flavor going on. But I was like, but if Tesla did it, it would probably sound spot on. It was like, if you just had Frank Hannon doing that guitar part and you had Jeff doing his thing, it was like, it would sound really good as a Tesla song. 
it doesn't sound as good as a Night Ranger song. And I don't know. I don't. It's just how my brain works. And, I, and um, there's a couple that have uh, at least one that's got a really good um, like '70s vibe to it as well. But I think the one thing that I came away with with this one was it was obvious that this was an album done during the pandemic and done passing parts around. It just how, how do you how do you now you is that you know you get that from I play so I noticed it's it's the like nobody it, told me I'd never know that it's the groove it's it's you can. You can tell the difference between a band that works together and plays off each other and builds the song right there. So, for instance, a band like Pantera, in my opinion, would never be able to pass songs over the parts over the internet and have that same feel that their albums did. That groove depended on Vinny and Dime playing off each other and Rex figuring out where he had to had to sit in. And those were jams that became songs. Those couldn't have been done, you know, passing files back and forth. And and this one, it just, it just, it has that feeling where, like that part was set in stone, and they're they're just going for it. And the thing was, I think I even got it right off the first song with that drum beat. Like it was a, I hate to say it, but it didn't have a personality. That drum beat for that first track did not have a personality to it. It just didn't speak to me. And it was almost like that part just got laid down and everybody just popped their parts on top of it. That it, There was no interplay between those instruments at all. Even the drums and the bass, there wasn't any interplay with it. And, and, I, and I think that's where I basically, in air quotes, heard it through the rest of the album, was based upon that initial first song, which I also thought was for sequencing, not the best song to put a track one. I'm sure they had a reason why, but it wasn't the to me it wasn't the best sign to put a track one. Mm. I have the vinyl and the one thing I will say about the the vinyl it's red vinyl packaging's really good gatefold mm. sleeve. I wasn't sure if you got the red or the crystal. Red. Mm. Um but when you for some reason the way it was uh what do they call it when they manufacture the way it's pressed is yeah. it? It's not loud. You have to really turn it up. Is it might be because the album's a little bit longer than it's supposed to be. Yeah, so probably because of that. Is it a double album or a single? No, a single. It's a single. Yeah, so de- definitely they tracks. had to. So they have to make the grooves a lot smaller. Yeah, and that means you don't have the bandwidth to to do loud. Yeah, and I I put on. Uh, I have the Inglorious record as well from this year, which is it's a fantastic record, and. That's a single album, and that sounds way better than mm. the Night Ranger record does, and it's the same label as yeah. Frontiers. Oh. Um, would the colored vinyl make a difference? No. No, that won't make a difference. It would be interesting for you to see who mastered it, uh, because uh, I can read the liner notes on the vinyl now with my eyes. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I've gone back into vinyl. I can actually yeah. read stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, you, I should look at who mastered it. Okay. Um and because that's going to probably tell you, I'm sure it's two different people, um, and whoever's mastering it, they're going to have a lot of uh, a lot of influence on how that's going to sound, and then whoever's actually going to cut that disc okay. as well, it does, yeah, and it will make just, a difference. It's something I really noticed, and then like, I'll put on an old vinyl record, and I won't touch the volume, and it's fucking way louder. Mm. Um, and I'm like, wow, it's 2021, and I'm getting a record that sounds like this. Yeah. So part of it is, yeah, they probably they. 
with the time, yeah, they mm-hmm. had to make those those grooves a lot closer. And so now you start to, if you start making it loud, because you're having to physically do something with the needle, it's going to be skipping all over the place. Yeah, I, I like the record. I I hear I can hear part of what you're saying. I can't notice the file sharing thing. I, I I'm just yeah. I, my ears aren't made mm-hmm. that way. Yeah, I don't play. Um. I just think their last couple of albums they've done have been really good, and I think this one is a, is a good record as well. I'm going to lump Night Ranger in now with with the likes of Ozzy and Deep Purple and, and Iron Maiden, hmm. and say that I love that bands from that era. Yeah, are still even bothered to make new records. Sure. Um, I know made the gap between Maiden albums and Aussie albums is a lot bigger mm-hmm. than Night Ranger. Night Ranger is like every two or three years. Yeah. Like we have the new Maiden album coming out. I think the yeah. last one was what, 2015? Uh, it I'd probably have would have been yeah. it probably would have been out before the, now and then COVID hit because I think they recorded this in uh was it twenty nineteen they said they did it? With uh Kevin Shirley. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's been done for a yeah. while. Um Deep Purple new album re- recently enough. Um, I love the fact that they they make albums. Yeah. That they still bother. Yeah. The money that used to be in it is not in it anymore. Um, I think for, I think for some of them, yeah. I think I think Maiden's a different case. I think people, for the most part, still buy new Maiden music. Are you getting that? wooden box set thingy. I, I am not. Come on. I'm shocked. I am not. It's <laughs> it's $450. Are you getting the Black Album box set, 30th anniversary? Oh, yeah. I ordered that the first Help. week. And that's, <laughs> that's about, what, two or 300 so, I don't remember. It's been that long. But yes, I well, I have all the other ones over there. All the other anniversary box editions, I, know, I have all I know. of them. And I ordered that the, well, the day they announced it. I, I'm, a, I'm a massive Maiden fan. Hmm. I'll just get the album. Yeah. Um. If people want to go out and get all the bells and whistles, that's fine. Yeah, I've got um, the I've got the colored vinyl coming in. Um, the the book format one, and then just the regular box, not the wooden one. Yeah, that's four hundred and fifty <laughs> bucks. I was just like, I, I, I'm stunned. I'm stunned that it's that much. What it's do you think crazy. of this? What do you think of the two songs? They're all right. Released. I mean, they're they're modern Maiden, you know. I think Bruce sounds great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, and, and you can definitely hear on the first one. You listen to it and go, "Oh yeah, that's Bruce and Adrian." It's 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 that style. It's 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 got that commercial bent to it. A couple of twists in there, but it's like, "Oh yeah, that's that team." Yeah, definitely can hear it. Mm. I think Maiden fans, most of them will be ecstatic that they're bringing out a new record. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have this faction that they've been, they have it ready on the keyboards. They uh-huh. hit send. I hate Kevin Shirley. <laughs> I fucking hate Yannick Gers. Yeah. And the fucking songs are too long. Yeah. And when the press release went out about the album, and I think the last three songs were over 10 minutes long, yeah. written by Steve Harris alone, it's yeah. like, oh, I can't wait to hit send. <laughs> Two fucking long songs. <laughs> And they do that. I mean, I, they're a different band. I, I'll give you that. The, the thing, and I'm torn on that. I mean, I love Maiden, but there is a thing of like, okay, it's the long song. Am I upset about the song being long? Or for a long time, they've gotten better. 
And I think partly because they did get a lot of feedback and they even kind of admitted that, yeah, it's, it was becoming kind of an addiction, is the gratuitous long intros and then a long song, you know. And so I, and they have done, you know, I think they do hear some feedback. And obviously, Steve Harris has always stuck to his guns and I respect him for that. Um, but I think they have kind of dialed that one back a little bit. But, you know... They do long songs. The thing is, I mean, they did Emperor Empire of the Clouds live. No, so they never did that live. I'm pretty sure they did it on um, the tour for it. No, never. Which one did they do? They did one of the long songs. They did the title track. They did Red and the Black. The Red and the Black. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's, That's only what 13 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> My bad. But, you know, but they did. I mean, they do go out and they play them live. And, and but, uh, they yeah, they do have that long songs, but. Even though Steve can be loath to admit it, sometimes he does like his prog rock, and that's prog rock. So yeah. I think people have had a problem since they got back together. People just don't like Kevin Shirley's sound. It doesn't matter what band he does; they they don't like that sound. And the Maiden guys want him because of the way he works. And we, we've had right. guys on like Ricky Warwick, and we've asked them, Kevin doesn't fuck around. No. Get in the studio, record, and the guys are going, I want to do that again. No, you're done. Get out. You're, you're yeah. done. And that's the way he's always done the albums. And the Maiden guys want to work that way. Yeah. And Kevin has a particular sound that's not overproduced. Right. It's not overcompressed. Right. I mean, it does get them back to, you know, the, the first couple of albums, or the, at least the first album kind of a thing, where that's how they, they recorded you know, um, it's that new wave of British heavy metal, very much. We're not being fancy. We're going in some shitty little studio, and we're just going to knock it out. And they're kind of doing the same thing again, you know. And you can't reinvent Martin. So they, they found a pretty good spirit in Kevin that works the way Steve wants to work. And screw it. Why not just do it that way? You know, that's they're a capable enough band that they don't need to do, you know, 15 takes or something because someone really doesn't have their crap together. So I, I well, they could have any producer work with them. You, you, any metal producer, if Iron Maiden said they wanted to work with you, they'd do it tomorrow. They would, but well, maybe, maybe not because you're going to, you're going to go in there, but you still have a very strong personality in Steve Harris. And so Unless you mesh completely with how Steve likes to work, wants to work, wants to hear, you're going to have a miserable time. So you could um, you could have a you know another great metal producer go in there and have you know great credentials and stuff, but not really fit well with the band and not have a good time. You know, so it could be you know it. Someone like, you know, Andy Sneap. I mean, he probably would make a fantastic Iron Maiden album. But is that really what Steve Harris wants to hear? And that, I think that's what it comes down to. He, know, he, he knows what he wants. I'd love to see Roy Z work with them. I think he'd done amazing work with Bruce Dickinson on his solo albums and with Rob Halford. Yeah, that would be, that would be interesting. That would be... Uh, and he can play. Roy, Roy's a musician. Yes, yeah, that would be very interesting to see what Roy Z would, would bring to it. But he's got... We're playing hypotheticals, so it'll never happen No, here. I guess not. <laughs> I was going to say that he's got more of a crisper sound. But if I think about 
about Dickinson's albums. He, it's not. He doesn't. He doesn't put a like signature Roy Z sound. He really is pretty good about looking at what needs to be done. He might actually be really good for it. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Yep. Okay. I'll take that back. I think at this stage, though, Maiden are so long in the toot now. Yeah. They don't want to work with anyone else. They're comfortable with Kevin. Kevin's comfortable with them. Yeah. I I don't think they're ever going to work with anybody else. Oh, I think they're also of that. And I, and I think it's more so, at least what I've seen is in it, I think it's more so with with English bands too, is um, they they want to work with kind of a, a close-knit group that they're comfortable with and not kind of go outside the circle that much kind of a thing too. Right? I mean, think about Saxon, right? And all their producers, they were, yeah, they're, they're pretty chummy. They got along, right? Enter Kevin Beamish. Right, and then that's kind of like, like he's definitely the the you know U.S. guy trying to go into that, and it just there was friction, you know. It didn't he didn't go in, in and kind of put himself into that that club, you know. Um, I think the Maiden guys fall into that camp too, where they they kind of want their camp, and Kevin's part of their camp, and they feel comfortable with them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other thing I want to talk about. Um, we've got a couple of minutes. So Judas Priest have started shows. Uh-huh. And or as you put it, Rob Halford's solo band. Well, y- yeah. <laughs> Although Glenn did show up at Bloodstock. I laugh at that. I laugh about that every couple of days, I think, about you saying that. <laughs> well, I've seen him with Rob and, or I've seen him with KK and, I've, and Glenn, and uh-huh. I've seen Glenn and, and Richie, and they were great. I, I just have a hard time seeing Richie and Andy Sneap on stage as Judas Priest. Oh, I mean, they did a great job. I'm not saying he you didn't. Know, they did a fantastic job. But, Speaking of which, the KK album is late. It was supposed to come out in July. I pre-ordered that everything's too. Everything's late. But, uh, but they, did, they did do a great job. Granted, I really liked it when Glenn came out at the end and you know played a couple songs, but uh, you know, it's kind of get to the point where, you know, Okay, so maybe he showed up a bloodstock, but is he going to do anything else yeah. here? You Let's know? talk about their set. Yeah. Now you have a band. You see that this this we could this ties in with Maiden and all these other bands. Yeah. The set list, right? Yeah. Now the Epitaph tour was hands down for me. It was the best set list they've ever done. Uh-huh. The idea was tremendous, where they'd play at least one track from. Sure. Every album. Yeah. And the show was two and a half hours long, and I saw the tour. It was fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, and then since then, you know, they did Redeemer and they did Firepower. And they've always tinkered around with the set. And, of course, the set comes out for Bloodstock. Priest haven't done a show like most bands in a long time, mm-hmm. mainly due to COVID. And they play One Shot of Glory from Painkiller mm. as the opener. Never done it live. Mm. They did Rockerola. No, I don't think they'd ever did it live. <laughs> Um, and they had one or two other tracks that they hadn't played in, in a long time. Yeah. And, of course, some people kill them on, on, uh, online. The people just being negative for the sake of being negative, I don't know, but Turbo Lover always gets abuse. I think it's a fantastic live track. But it, a band like Priest, here they are playing songs that they've never played mm-hmm. live. Now, my, my take on these, and they are a nostalgia band. I don't care what anyone says. The new stuff's great, but yeah. a lot of people go to hear the hits. Yeah. Right. Now, at my stage in my life, and I've seen Priest a few times, 
I would ra- I, if Priest came along and changed half the set and played a lot of songs that I'd never heard before. Yeah. I'd be more happy than seeing the same set tour after tour after mm. tour after tour. People want that and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But when the band actually co- plays songs yeah. off albums that they've never done, Blood Red Skies they put back in the set. Oh. Fucking best song on Ram It Down, a brilliant track. Yeah. Right? And people are saying, why are you playing that for? Why aren't you playing fucking Heading Out to the Highway or, or something yeah. like that? And I'm thinking, how many times are we going to get to see Priest? Like, to me, you know, you, you, Glenn is more or less not right. gone now. Right. Alive. KK's been gone for a long time. you got Richie. Yeah. Like, how many other goes at the plate are we going to get with the band? I'd rather hear songs on, on a tour that they hadn't played. Sure. And then say, yeah. and then say I heard him play One Shot of Glory. You know, I heard him fucking play Blood Red Skies. Right. I, I, I came here in 2004, and I think it was uh, when Queensryche supported him, and I went up to Manchester, New Hampshire, and they did I'm a Rocker from uh-huh. Ram It Down. Yeah. Now, I'm not a fan of that album, but at least I can say, I saw fucking Judas Priest do I'm yeah. a Rocker. Yeah. They're not going to play it ever again, but at least I can say, I saw him mm-hmm. do it. I don't want to say, oh, I saw him do Breaking the Law 27 times. Yeah. I mean, I say the same thing when I went and saw the British Steel Anniversary Tour and, like, got to hear the rage. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. Well, that, yeah, but that was a great thing. <laughs> you know? And they did it in the order the album was... Uh, they did. W- w- ...was, yeah. you know, released. But that's... That's a one-off thing as well. Yeah. Um, but some of these bands, when they go out, they're in a no-win situation. And I'm just not... I get it, but I, I don't like it. I'd much rather see some of the deeper cuts. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'll hand it to Priest. I will put my hand up and say, every time they go out on every tour now, they're trying. Yeah. They are bringing back songs that they haven't played in a while. And they're not. it's not just one or two. Yeah. It's... Three, four, five, or six of them. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's Richie. I yeah, but I think it's fucking great. Yeah, and long may it continue. Mm-hmm. Um, and b- before we stop here, you've Megadeth. They're out now, and they did eleven songs. Yeah, they're co-headlining with Lamb of God, and that right. was the greatest hits. But then they played fourteen songs. I think the following night, and they switched it up a bit. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to say, I wanted to kill him the first night. I'm like, really. All these songs, and you're playing all the songs I would have guessed you'd play, yeah. and you're only playing eleven. Um, I don't know. Just switch it, switch it up a little bit, and they yeah. did. So I'll, I'll give them I mean, a pass. It's probably that for, night one was probably too kind of a shake off the cobwebs night. Well, you got a new bass player. Yeah, you got a new bass player. <laughs> uh, imagine that. <laughs> oh, this angers me. Still, <laughs> this angers me. It was the extra. I think it was. I think it was even the day after last time we talked and it was announced that they even had removed all of all of the bass tracks and re-recorded all the bass tracks on the album. They still haven't announced who played them. And it, and it was Steve like, DiGiorgio, I think. And it was like, son of a bitch, like, really? But yeah, yeah, I'm still I'm still angered about that. Anyways, things I'm not angered about, Brad Gillis. So we got, you got a nice nice talk with Brad Gillis, which is awesome this week. I'm really look, you know, looking forward to let everyone hear that. It's good to have Brad back on the show. And um, he does have some tasty spots on the new album, despite everything else I said. Um, even some of the, I know you, you know, you guys talked a little bit about his guitars and stuff like that. And I think in the interview, did he, I think he mentioned about the Floyd Rose he was using without the fine tuners. Yes, he did. Yeah. That company went through hell to keep him supplied with 
non-fine-tuned Floyd Roses because they, they're they like not really made to be done that way. Um, but if you listen, uh, one of the ride-out solos on one of the tracks, you can hear him do, he's basically just doing this little thing with the whammy bar because he doesn't have the fine-tuners on it. You can hear it if... And you're like, oh yeah, he's that's yeah, he's doing the little part there. It's kind of like one of his one of his little trademarks. And obviously, obviously, hear you hear it. You hear it in uh, you know part of one of his one of his answer back solos on uh, Still Rockin' America. But but he does he does do it on one of the ride out solos. I caught that. I was like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, it was interesting too to to hear about you know him talking about getting that old K guitar back, which is yeah, amazing. The thing is with those is that now, and I know you know you don't play and you don't deal with all this crap. I've got. Um, but like, Hey, you know, that was, that was basically a, you know, a jobber brand and, um, you know, you were pretty cheap department store type of thing, but as, you know, as Les Pauls or Stratocasters, as they become these like blue chip guitarists, if you will, a lot of people like Brad that started out playing a K or a harmony or a silver tone or whatever. Now they're going back and they're looking to, to, to get those. So, you know, now there's a, They've relaunched the Silvertone line. A few years ago, they relaunched the K line. There's, there's like all of these ones that are now speaking back to those that whole group of people that are, you know, they want to have that guitar again. And now those guitars that, you know, were Brad got it pretty cheap. They're going back and they're finding out that their their prices are climbing on those now. Yeah. But now they have the relaunches. And um, you know, my girlfriend's brother-in-law has a has a K that's. Um, actually really nice and it was from his dad and and i he you know he asked me to take a look at it and i was like whoa and it, it's it's a kind called a we, we refer to it as a calvinator because of the headstock stuff that's on it and it reminds me of an it's this old refrigerator trim but uh, i was like yeah that's hang on to that because that's one of these sleepers that uh it's it will become a you know a pretty good little price point guitar if you hang on to it long enough but nice. it was cool to hear him talk about that and and uh you know, like I was thinking too. Like I don't, I don't know whatever happened to my my original basses. I know at least one of them, two of them, were owned by the band manager. So I know where those went back to him. But my first original electric, I still have. It's in the case in my stock room of <laughs> strings. And then yeah, my then the first acoustic got stolen, so I don't have that. But uh, be cool to have that back. But yeah, that's gone. But yeah, so it is cool if you still have them. Although my original original amp is gone, so that was stupid. I let somebody borrow it, never to be seen again, which is <laughs> unfortunate. And uh, but yeah, but yeah, it's, I, I like those conversations with that you have with the people about you know instruments and all that. So yeah, if they ever call my bluff on it, I'm fucked. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if you ever get technical, I'm like, uh, moving on. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But yeah, he had some, he's, you know, definitely a guy that has a lot of guitars in his history. So it's cool that he's got the stuff from Ozzy and things too. So yeah. yeah, I wanted to ask him that. Yeah. Kept it all. Yeah, it's good. Good, good for him. All right. So you want to roll this? Yeah. All right. Hello. Is that Brad? Yes. Hi, Brad. It's Richie here for the interview. Is it now okay? Yeah, thanks, man. It's all good. It's all yeah, good. no problem. So I have the new album in front of me. I got it on vinyl. Frontiers did a great job. Gatefold sleeve, red vinyl, and all that. And we'll we'll get good. into the we'll get into the record. But I have to ask you about the gig you just did in Sturgis. Um, and you had yes. you had Gilby Clark. 
play guitar. Um, did you know beforehand that Kerry wasn't going to play? Was it a, was it emergency surgery he had done? He was waiting to uh, get knee surgery for quite a while, and the Sturgis gig was thrown on us to us the last minute. Uh, actually, a couple days before we played, and Kerry couldn't get out of his surgery, so they had me going up doing double duty, which I've done before. But you know, I had to brush up on the Jeff Watson solos and you know, uh, "Don't Tell Me Love You" and "Rock in America" and songs like that. So I was ready to go, uh, and then uh, Gilby Clark got a hold of us saying he was driving from L.A. on his on his Harley uh, to Sturgis. And uh, Jack said, hey, man, come in and sit in with us. So we did a little rehearsal backstage, and he came up for Don't Tell Me, Love Me, Sister Christian, and Rockin' America. Nice, nice. So he already knew those songs. Did like You didn't ask him, did he know any of the other ones? Like, could he play a full set? Well, no, we just wanted to make it more of a special guest thing, get him up for the big songs at the end. We didn't want to overwhelm him with too many, too much stuff. So it worked out just fine with the three songs. Okay, nice, nice. So, Brad, I always ask the guitar players this question. Uh, how many guitars do you have in your house? Oh, I uh, I collect vintage guitars, so I have, uh, you know, around 100. 100. <laughs> do you still have the guitar? <laughs> do you still have the guitar? I have about, I, I, I have about uh, 40 amplifiers, too. So, yeah, I'm a vintage collector, you know, old... Uh, you know, old and vintage Gibson and Fender guitars and old Marshalls. And, and yeah, you know, this has been uh, a passion of mine to collect vintage guitars for over 20 years. I could just imagine if I would have started collecting back in the 80s. I mean, boy, the prices back then, I, I would have I owned own probably a 1959 Les Paul Standard, you know, that I might have got back in the day for couple thousand dollars that are now worth you know a quarter of a million to a half a million dollars <laughs> do you still have the guitars that you played with ozzy or you recorded the first couple of night ranger albums on yes i still have that i play it live when i can on on the road uh we have two two rigs meaning in the united states we have a, a west coast uh midwest rig full of all of our equipment then we have an exact uh, uh duplicate of our equipment that serves the east coast uh, excuse me the west coast so we always have our equipment whenever we're playing and if we have one gig that's maybe in the midwest and the other one that's maybe on the west coast uh we're able to have two trucks two drivers take that equipment to where where it's needed to be able to use our own equipment hmm. so i have a dupe i have a duplicate copy of my 62 red stratocaster that's a reproduction that my friend jim Kara builds uh he does he does a lot of uh, reproductions of guitars for gene simmons and and other people so uh i have a copy of my red strat on my west coast rig but yes i'm still out playing using it live and bring it home to record on on records when i need to and plus i have uh, a lot of Fernandez, Brad Gillis models uh, that I use too that are reproductions of my Red Strat that they made in the mid 80s. They made about a hundred of these guitars. They're Japanese, but they're very well made. I end up putting original Floyd Roses with non fine tuners 
on them and the same pickups and set them up real nice so, uh, you know, I could play them live also. So I have, uh, yeah, you know, I only have a couple of guitars on the road, a couple of the red Stratocasters, and then I play Taylor acoustic guitars uh, along with the rest of the band, which sound wonderful live. Mm. Now, you said you're a collector, so I have to ask you, have you ever gotten rid of a guitar and regretted it? Yes. My very first guitar that my father bought me when I was eight years old uh, was a K Vanguard II. My parents knew I was into music because the Beatles came out and I wanted to be a guitar player. So they asked me, you know, uh, do you sure you want a guitar? I said, yes. They said, well, we'll buy you this guitar if you take left. So long story short, I ended up uh, playing that guitar until I was about 10 or 11 years old. And my father was a pilot. And he flew to Germany and brought me back a hollow body Hofner red guitar. Kind of looked like a Gibson ES-335 copy. And that was a much more well-made and sounding guitar. So I sold my Hofner at a penny market, a flea market in the San Francisco Bay Area when I was 12. And I regretted it because I thought, man, I sold my first guitar that I ever owned. Now, being a guitar collector, I go to these guitar shows around the San Francisco Bay Area, and I had a booth with about 20 of my guitars in that I would like to sell and trade, and I always try to trade the uh, the newer guitars for older vintage guitars, because that was my passion. Uh-huh. Anyway, I'm walking, walking in the guitar show, and I walk by this... Uh, this uh, music store that had a big booth down there called Guitar Showcase. And I'm looking down, and there's a guitar that looks just like my 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 K Vanguard II. And I asked the owner of the store, I said, hey, man, where did you get this guitar? It looks like my first guitar. He says, Brad, I probably got this on a trade-in about 30, 35 years ago, and it's been sitting up in the rafters at my music store for years. And I just decided to bring them out because a lot of guitar players are collecting and playing these these cheaper vintage guitars because they have their own sound. And I said, Gary, this might be my original guitar. So he let me take it back to my booth. And I had my sister text me a picture of my original guitar and all the wear on the knobs. And, and there was a ding in the side of the guitar matched up to the original picture I had when I was like 11 years old and I bought back my original guitar. No way. That's amazing. <laughs> Isn't that wild? That is amazing. That's wild. I've had, yes. I've had many guitarists, Brad, when I ask him that question, say the same thing, the first guitar. And they always regret the first one. It could be a piece of crap, but it has a sentimental value. So the, the, it's, amazing. Sure. it's amazing that you were able to get that back. Oh, I was blown away. And, you know, he wanted $600 for this old K guitar. And, uh, and once I told him and showed him the picture and, and, and heard him laugh and go, oh, my God, this is your first guitar. He says, Brad, I'll just give it to you for 300 bucks. I would have paid thousands for it to get it back. 
Wow. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. It's 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 right here where I'm standing. I'm looking at it, and I try to play it, and it plays like crap, Richie. <laughs> that doesn't matter. It's the it's the doesn't the matter. It's the memories it brings back. It doesn't matter at all. Mm. But you know, the thing is, I, I think about you know when I first got this guitar and taking lessons playing it and learning my first chords. And then, you know, uh, I, I had my first band when I was 10 years old, just me and a couple of guys goofing off and I used this guitar and, and, you know, back then you just played, you know, three or four chords and, you know, I wasn't playing lead guitar at all. And you'd be playing songs like, you know, uh, you know, Gloria and, uh, house of the rising sun. And it was just a lot of fun memories back then. And my brother being seven years older than me, when I ended up getting, uh, you know, that, uh, that Hoffner guitar, which was a better playing guitar, uh, my brother had all the great records that came out in the late sixties, you know, Jimi Hendrix and the doors and Led Zeppelin and big brother and the holding company with Janis Joplin. And, and he'd, he'd pop these records on and I'd sit in his room and try to learn by ear. Oh. Uh, and, you know, and, and my brother's friend who was a guitar player came over. He said, Brad, just listen to songs, man. You'll start to figure it out. You know, you'll figure out where the one chord is and, and, you know, and then how the chords move around and, you know, which helped me out a lot. And then he taught me a couple scales, the pentatonic scales and a couple other uh, lead patterns to practice with. And then, wow, around 1969, 1970, I started to get it. And then it became a lot of fun. Mm, mm. Now, what, what's the secret of your longevity when you're in a band with Jack and Kelly? Especially now when many acts from the same era have a lot of acrimony amongst its members. Well, we all kind of had the... Uh same idea you know keep this machine rolling uh, write the best songs and put out the best albums we can make sure you're with a big enough good enough agency to put us on the road to keep us excited and making income and when you're doing your passion richie playing live and recording records you know you deal with any you know you deal with the personalities but the lucky thing is we've already always We've always kept ourselves in check. You know, we're joking around all the time, having fun, goofing off. And, you know, when you keep to put the egos aside, uh, believe me, it's a lot easier to get along and, 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 and stay busy. Hmm. Uh, and one thing, one thing that we do not do anymore is go on the road for a month or two at a time. We just can't do that. That's, that's when you get tired and sick of each other, especially at our age, you know? So, yeah. We do what we call uh, the the weekend warrior gigs. We'd leave on Thursday, play Friday, Saturday, home on Sunday, or, you know, play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or, you know, whatever. And oh. we'd be home uh, during the, the start of the week. I mean, I usually always have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays off to be home doing other projects I'm involved with, or, you know, I'm working on my house. I'm, you know, uh, just whatever uh, keeps us busy. And so... So then you kind of look forward to going out that next weekend and playing a show here, opening up for sticks or playing a big rock fest festival like we just did. We got Summerfest coming up. We got the Kiss Cruise coming up. We're uh, going back to Japan in 2022. 
uh, doing a bunch of shows over there. We've always done very well in Japan. So it's things like that uh, that, that keep us keep us excited. Mm. Brad, when is the last time you played in Europe? Because I know you're doing Sweden Rock next year. Yes, we ended up, uh, we were back in uh, Europe uh, five, five years ago-ish, something like that. We did a roundabout of a few clubs here, here and there. Um, but the problem with us in Europe is we went over with Foreigner uh, back in the early 80s, did real well, made a, made a footprint, footprint uh, and then, of course, I, I went and played a year with Ozzy in, uh, in 82. Um, but Night Ranger, we never kept going back and solidifying our, our, uh, you know, our, 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 our fame or whatever in Europe. So, um, we kind of, we stopped going there for a few decades. So, uh, when we started going back there doing the Swedish, Sweden Rock Festival about eight or nine years ago, uh, and then the tour, with Journey and Foreigner in 2011, that kind of brought us back into the European scene. Um, you know, uh, we do okay over there, but uh, uh, we do a lot better in Japan. Hmm. Okay. Um, the circumstances recording this record, now you had to do it through with the pandemic. Um, was this the hardest Night Ranger album to make, or was it just so different because of what was going on? It was probably, uh, it wasn't hard. Uh, it wasn't hard to do it. Uh, basically, we had the luxury of time, Richie. Uh, we started doing Zoom calls with Jack, Kelly, and I, and we all knew we were going to get together a couple of weeks in advance and start this record, so we just started coming up with the ideas uh, that we all had, and we would do Zoom calls together and kind of flush out the best ideas. And then we brought Carrie Kelly, our other guitar player, in, and Eric Levy, our keyboard player, in. They threw in their ideas. And everybody having their own home studio, we had Kelly go into a big studio in Arizona where he lives, cut the drums, then we would pass the files around, and everybody would be working on their own home studio to, to throw down their parts. Uh, we kept calling each other, uh, you know, with the, with the pertinence on doing this and doing that, who's going to do what, who's going to sing this, who's going to play the solo on this. And we just kind of figured it out, but had the luxury of time. And we started last September and it took us about, you know, five months to finish, but we knew we had the luxury of time. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, but I'm so glad the record just came out and we're getting good reviews. I'm doing so many interviews just like yours for GM. And uh, and all the uh, all the reviewers and everybody seem to really love the record. So that's always exciting to uh, have great reviews. Hmm. Now, you did the record this way, but probably in the past you would have, you know, written songs in the same room. There was some spontaneity and feel there that some guy would give you a yes. look and the song would go some other way. And do you prefer yes. one way or the other, or or like do you separate both of them? Well. We dealt with the situation at hand, Richie, and that was a COVID situation. We couldn't get together, and we wanted to finish a record. So, uh, you know, that's hence the title, and the band played off, you know. Uh, we were able to, to do a product and a new record uh, being uh, in our own homes. 
and which has never been done by us. And and but the and and but we're glad of the outcome. We thought it turned out real good. Yeah. So who's the perfectionist in the band that can't let a song go and say it's done? Well, there's an old saying, Richie, is like, you don't finish a record, you abandon it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay, enough mixing. Okay, enough thinking about that guitar solo. It's okay. Let it go. Let it out. Uh, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, everybody in the band is a perfectionist. Everybody wants to, you know, to put out the best performance they can to enhance any record we do. Hmm. So we don't let anything go by that we don't think is good or else we, we go on and we finish it off. Now, we did the last few records up at Jack Lade's house when he lived here in California, which is north of the San Francisco Bay Area here where I live. So we'd fly, you know, everybody in and we'd hang out up at Jack's house and do the records there, uh, which was great because you're in a, home, you know, in a big studio at his house that he had at the time. And we had, you know, and we weren't paying for studio time, uh, which, which led us to pick our time on finishing any product we did. Uh, Jack has since sold that place and moved up to Washington state. So, uh, the next best thing to do this record was in a COVID situation to, uh, do a bunch of zoom calls and pass the files around and everybody recorded their own home studio. Yeah. Um, when you're sending a song idea to the guys, what form is it? Is it a riff? Is it like a song with some instrumentation on it? Like, do you get involved in the lyrics and melodies? Does it go both ways? Everything's different. Every song's different. You know, I usually throw out ideas of, of, of riffs and songs and grooves and melody lines. Um, and Jack is the, is great at lyrics and melodies. And, uh, he wrote the bulk of, the bulk of, uh, everything on this new record. Uh, and, uh, but Kelly got involved with, uh, a couple of the songs. But, you know, every song is different. Every recording situation for every record is different. You just try to bring out the best of everybody for every record you release and hope that it'll, you could throw it against the wall and it'll stick. Hmm. Can I ask you about two songs on the album, Brad? Um, hard to hard to make it easy. The twin guitar harmony leads in the start of that. I'm from Ireland, so straight away I'm like, all right, who's the Tin Lizzy fan in the band? Well, uh, we all are. Everybody in this band is a Tin Lizzy uh, fan, you know. And and you know, the, the, the whole uh, nucleus of the band back in the '80s were twin guitar with the harmonies, mm -hmm. and you know, Jack and Jack and Kelly. Uh, trading off and maybe Jack will sing a verse, Kelly will sing the B section, everybody sings the chorus. So um, being a twin guitar fan and somebody like myself that grew up with Thin Lizzy and the Allman Brothers and Leonard Skinner, uh, you know, and just recording guitar harmonies with melody that's memorable. I mean, that's just something that we try to do, you know. Uh, it gets to the point where you just start getting out there with too many crazy leads that you know, that uh, it just becomes, uh, you know, overrun with too many notes. Now, there's a lot of solos on there that Carrie and I kind of go crazy on, but we bear down with a bunch of harmonies, especially on songs like Breakout, you know, that uh, that are memorable and uh, and fit the song, you know. So uh, 
We're all Thin Lizzy fans, buddy. <laughs> the other track I love on this, you guys always nail the ballads, is uh, Can't Afford a Hero. Yes. That's, I love that song. One of my favorite ones in the record. Yeah, definitely. It's 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 great. You've, you've always balanced the number of ballads with the rockers as well as what, what I really like about you guys. You know, you don't oh, you don't put too many ballads on a record. I think just one or two is. You just have the right number on 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 the album. Yeah, we try to you know stick with this format being which we've done on pretty much all the records is is you know a couple up tempo rockers then a couple of middle of the road tempo rockers and a couple ballads, hmm. you know? So, uh, we try to even it out with a little something for everybody kind of thing. Uh, but it's, you know, we, we try to bring whatever's best for the record. We ended up, uh, probably writing 16, 17 songs for the, uh, new record and picked the best, you know, 10 or 11, uh, for the record. And, uh, uh, and of course we have bonus tracks to go out to Japan and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it, we had the luxury of time, Richie, and yeah. which was, which was, you know, we were able to, you know, put out the best product we could. Mm. I just got a couple of questions, Brad, before I leave you go. Um, would you rather be remembered as a great guitar player or a great songwriter? Oh, uh, it'd be a guitar player. You know, I, my uh, my whole idea back when I was a kid, just growing up and playing, was how can I be different? You know, uh, I don't want to sound like everybody else. W what can I do? So, in 1978, the great Van Eddie Van Halen came out and uh, started using the harmonic whammy bar, Floyd Rose dive bombs and such, and and uh, you know. Uh, Eddie got the first original Floyd Rose made in Floyd's garage, you know, and Eddie and, and uh, Nick Sean got the second one. And there was a music store by me called Don Weir's Music City. And they were, you know, when I called them up asking about this Floyd Rose, they said they just received the third Floyd Rose ever made by Floyd. And I ran to San Francisco and uh, bought that third Floyd Rose and put it on my guitar and thought, well, how can I be different? So I started doing harmonics and raising them up and wigging, do the big wiggle. And then I started banging on my guitar one day and I heard it doing this, 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 this flutter sound. And I thought, oh, that's crazy. So I, I, I did both ideas on the end of my solo on Don't Tell Me You Love Me. But, you know, I've always wanted to be different and really got into the whammy bar and harmonics, which you could pretty much hear on mostly all the solos I do. And, you know, I, I, another, you know, another situation was doing the stars video with Ronnie James Dio in 1984, where you had everybody from Ingve to George Lynch to Neil Sean, all the greatest guitar players back then recording, uh, on the stars video and record. Um, so when I went in with all these great guitar players, I thought, well, how can I be different? So I just stuck to my guns and did a whammy bar. Uh, type solo and out of these 15 16 guitar players that did solos um you know mine was different and that's how i'm able to stand out in this day and age and uh, create my own style mm. um in your opinion what do you think is the most underrated night ranger album oh i don't know you know uh they all did what they did uh 
But what really killed this band, Richie, is after the release of Sister Christian, the record company only wanted to release ballads. Yeah. And they basically killed they killed the band. And we had some good rock songs on the on the third and fourth and fifth record. And because they just wanted to release ballads, we saw our audience diminish, our rockers you know, no longer come into our shows. And by nineteen eighty nine, after you know, touring uh, for a good five, six years all over the world, uh, we decided to take a break. But, you know, uh, each record's what it is, but we had so much success on the first two, and that's what's pretty much defined our success. Yeah. Final question, and I'm really going to pick your brain here, Brad. I was looking through some old magazines. One of them had a competition in it around the time of Big Life, and it was Win Night Ranger live in concert at your school, plus three grand for your school and a 1,000 deluxe stereo system. And I think it was with a grease shampoo and conditioner and Ed shaving gel. Do you remember that show? Yes, I do. Thanks thanks for bringing that one up, Richie. <laughs> <laughs> so you did play at the school? Yeah, we played at a school. Basically, we had so much promotion with this edge and agree uh them uh with them uh coming in and uh and sponsoring the band that's that's one thing we had to do to fulfill our contract with them it wasn't the best time of our career buddy uh but you know after that we decided that you know that was too much of a sellout so we kind of stayed away from that type of promotion after that okay did you play in was it in the gymnasium in the school or was it a local arena Yes, it was a gymnasium in the school. <laughs> that's right. And beyond that's that's one of the that's one of those gigs I try to forget, Richie. <laughs> <laughs> were, 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 were you on tour at the time? Oh, of course we were touring. They just fitted in the tour, but it was an obligation to to fulfill for the. Uh, the contract we were doing with Edge and Agree at that time. Okay. And it, the, I think the most underrated Night Ranger record, this is just my opinion, is somewhere in California. I think I think the last four records you've done have all been really, really good. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you, man. Uh, I, I, I think that's a great record, too. You know, uh, these last three or four records that we've done, you know, a couple with Joel Hoekstra and the last two with, uh, with Carrie Kelly, I think there's been some great stuff on each record. Um, and we've stuck to our guns with our, you know, twin guitars and, and our three part harmonies and try to writing, uh, you know, in different grooves and, uh, uh, and, 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 and memorable songs. So, you know, we stick to that same format since, you know, we had the same format since the eighties. Mm. Uh, and that's what has defined the sound of Night Ranger. So that's, uh, that's what we stick to. Yeah. Have you played any of the new songs live yet? Yes, we played Breakout a few times, and we played at a Sturgis this last weekend on Monday night, and it came off great. People were loving that. So we're trying to figure out the next couple songs to put in the set uh, so we have two or three to play live. So we're trying to figure that out right now. Nice. Well, I, I'm from Ireland, Brad, just before I leave you go. So a lot of these bands that were from the States, and you were definitely one of them. When I moved here 11 years ago, you were top of my bucket list to see live. And I finally did get a chance a couple of years ago to see you play in, in Lynn, Mass. And your, your road manager, Todd, who since passed away, great guy. Yeah. Um, he really yeah. looked after me that night. And you guys still put on a fantastic live show. Oh, thank you, Richie. You know, we try to put 110% into every 
show we do. Uh, and, uh, and it, and it pays off because our audience has been great. Hmm. I got to go, buddy. I got another call yeah, yeah. in one minute. No problem, Brad. Well, thanks for talking to me. Have a good rest of the day. My pleasure, Richie. Thanks for having me, buddy. Right, Take t- care. You too. Bye. All right. There you go. Richie's chat with, uh, night Rangers, Brad Gillis, a lot of, a lot of good stuff there. And, you know, one thing that I think I like about focus on metal is the fact that it isn't that quick, you know, radio as, as Jimmy used to say, right. It's the best album ever. We'd like the producer. We like our, it's that, you know, it's, it's the, the delving into other things, pulling in historical perspectives and other things. And, um, and I think you've worked into a good formula too, where if it's not done right, there'll be artists that will get testy because they want to promote the thing that they're there to promote. But it's kind of there's a nice balance of of being engaged enough with them that they're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm you know what I'm actually digging talking about this. And I I even know that that day, you know, um, you know he talked initially about you know these guys that call late and then they want to run long and like all this crap and and. Uh, and and you know you're always pretty straightforward with I'm not taking a second more and and you always fit it all in and stuff but it's that good balance where you get a nice chunk of information you're not getting from anybody else and then you get kind of the short story on the album as well and uh, it's kind of it's kind not of, the easiest thing to do to balance it no no it's not because if you want to have a conversation with the guy you can talk about the new record but if the conversation is going somewhere else in the beginning uh huh. And you you can go with it, and then you realize I've no fucking time left. <laughs> and once or twice you text me and said, uh, I think James Christian was one of them. Uh-huh. And I, I spoke to James for about 40 minutes, and you text me after editing it, and you said, You didn't talk much about the new record. And I'm like, Well, that's just the way the conversation went. <laughs> yeah. Like, I talked, I think I got one or two questions in, but we talked about it a lot of other yeah. stuff. He was, yeah, he was one that was getting a little bit testy about it. You can kind of hear it. But, yeah, usually the balance is there. So it's good. I, I like that. I think that's what a lot of people like, too, is that you aren't going to get the same thing you're going to get from some DJ on some bad FM station that has no idea about anything that's going on. And Who doesn't? Who hasn't heard a new record and only wants nope. to talk about Sister Christian? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's good. So it's, you know, hey, good to be back, despite everything else I said in the beginning. And I uh, hope you guys like it. And uh, think what do we got in store next week? Michael Gilbert. Michael Gilbert back Flotsam on Jetson. again. More flotsam, flots till death. So uh, I think that's it for this week. Stay tuned next week, and we'll roll out some good stuff from Michael Gilbert. But uh, that's uh, that's about it. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for myself and me, have yourselves a great middle week. And until we talk to you again next week. Remember, focus on metal. Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.